0: Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, Grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Well, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, So we've started a new little mini-series in Philippians chapter 4, uh, looking at this idea of the lifestyle uh, or the mind, specifically, of a Christian and we started this last week, and we kind of gave an overview of Philippians and talked about in Philippians 2.5 this idea of let this mind be in you all, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we talked about the fact that that word mind in Philippians 2.5, uh, it's the Greek word phroneo, which has the idea of mind. It has this idea of thinking, uh, but more importantly has this idea of, some, yeah, it's attitude, as some translations say, but it's more than attitude. It has this idea of perspective, it has this idea of orientation, of Focus. And in other words, the whole orientation of your living, the whole focus of your life, the whole essence of your being, the whole turn of your gaze should be one place. And the same gaze that Jesus had, the same perspective that Jesus had, the same orientation, the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had should be in us as well. And again, it's passive, which tells you this is not grit your teeth and try to uh, pull off the mind of Jesus because good luck. <laughs> like you're not going to do very well. So hey, you are it's passive meaning you're going to receive the mind of Christ. So as a Christian, isn't it interesting that our position as a Christian should be, oh Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your thinking. I need your mindset. I need your attitude. I need your focus. I need your perspective. I need your orientation of living. Would you take this situation that I'm in and would you give me your perspective on this situation? Uh, Jesus, I'm looking at culture. Could you give me your orientation, your focus in the midst of my culture? Uh, Jesus, we're looking at the COVID stuff, and we're looking at the politics, and we're looking at the economy, and we're looking at family, and we're looking at finances, and we're looking at whatever it is for you. Jesus, could I have your mind? Could I have your attitude? Could I have your orientation? Can I have your focus in this? Wouldn't it be neat just to live in that all the time? And do you know what we call people who live in that all the time? Christians. (laughs) Christians. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, that was a bad joke, but still true. Uh, so Philippians chapter 4. Uh, it's interesting as you get into Philippians chapter 4, again, the, what people m- most know Philippians chapter 4 four is verse 8, which is the whole mind of Christ. Think on these things. And again, in, in today's world, in, in the darkness of all that is going on, and the craziness that's happening, and the depressing of the church and the body of Christ in today's world, and, and, and of course, you can, don't have to watch the news very much to, to recognize that we're, we're in dire days. All that being said, how is a Christian supposed to think? How, how is a Christian supposed to live? How, how is a Christian supposed to function in today's world? And Paul says, oh, let me give you some thoughts. So, if you have your Bibles, let me just read Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be walking through verses 4 through 9 over these upcoming weeks. But let me just read it in totality just so that you you just kind of hear the tone and the context. Paul says, verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with gratitude, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there is anything virtuous, if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen and me, and the God of peace will be with you. What an incredible declaration of the life of a Christian. Hey, have peace. Hey, rejoice always. Think on these things, Paul says. Uh, What I want to do this morning is kind of set up, again, this whole passage. Last week we looked at Philippians as a whole and, and looked at kind of what Paul is doing in the book of Philippians Uh, And then we're looking at this idea of mindset. Uh, I'm really pressed, convicted. I don't know what the word you'd want to use is. When I read verses 4 through 9, I'm pressed by a a single reality. And in fact, Paul even says it in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he puts this word on there that is, I don't like it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, you'll never guess what the word always in Greek means. Always. (laughs) It's interesting, when you look at this idea of always, yes, Paul uses it in verse four to talk about this idea of rejoicing, that there should never be a moment in your life where you're not rejoicing. So rejoicing then is not based on circumstance. Rejoicing is not based on attitude. It's not based on, well, I feel happy, I feel sad. It's not, oh, I I won the lottery, or, or my dog got hit by a car. It's not based on circumstance. Rejoicing is a focus, it's a positional thing. And how, when am I supposed to be rejoicing? Well, always. And again, we'll talk about this next week. <clears throat> but it's interesting as you begin to walk through verses 4 through verse 9, that tone of always actually is undergirding this whole passage. In fact, it's not that, well, I'm to think on these things well, when it's easy. <clears throat> it's not, oh, I'll think on these things when it's pleasant or you know, when, when I desire to. This is, I am always to think on these things, Verse 8. Well, well, when should the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, verse 7, guard my heart and my mind? Always. Uh, Hey, when should I be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and gratitude, give thanks to God? Always. And it's interesting that the language I've been trying to use, and I understand it's a play on words, but I am to always, in all ways, be a Christian. That in all my ways, I should always be a Christian. That there should never be a moment in my life where I flip in and out of my Christianity. That it's not that I behave one way on Sunday morning, woo, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But you know, on on Friday nights, down with the buddies, you know, I I can live a whole different way. We call that hypocrisy. We we call that duplicity. And that is not to be in the life of a Christian. That a Christian is always and always a Christian. Which then is convicting. (laughs) How about you? because always has this idea there's never a moment when you're not so hey when every moment I'm awake I'm supposed to be a Christian? Yes. Every moment when I'm asleep, you're supposed to be a Christian? Yes. In my thought life, at every moment, I'm supposed to be a Christian? Uh-huh. You mean every word that comes out of my mouth should, should be coming out of a Christian's mouth? Uh-huh. What about the attitudes and the motives, the stuff that people don't see, but the stuff that kind of pulls from the inside of who I am? You're telling me that there shouldn't be anything going on inside of my life that's not Christian? Uh Uh-huh. I don't know what you want to do with that, but that's just, is that even possible? By the way, biblically, yes. (laughs) What would it look like if we were always and always a Christian? you realize that this isn't just uh, pertaining to us. That this idea of always and always, that's actually who God is. That he is always God. That he is always and always God. That he is the always God. That he is constant. He is faithful. He is stable. He is trustworthy. He does not change. And that's encouraging for the life of a Christian because if God is wishy-washy, if, if God could flip in and flip out, if, if God was one of those beings that, you know, depending on how he woke up in the morning, he, he's going to behave differently, then there's no way you could ever trust him. And yet God says, I am trustworthy, that I am faithful. Hey, you can, you can rest your life upon me. Hey, you, you can sink your weight down upon my, uh, hey, I am a bedrock. I am, I, I am a, I'm a foundation. I am I'm, I'm rock. Which means there's something you can build upon. Well, how do I know that? Because God doesn't change. And the moment we begin to understand that God does not change, it actually, oh, there's such a freedom in that. Why? Because we begin to recognize that if God has promised something, it will come to pass. Why? Because God cannot lie. So if God cannot lie and he has promised, you can take it to the bank. I mean, it is guaranteed So even if you've never seen it in human history before, when God says, hey, you do not have to live in lust. Well, I've never seen a a single person not live in lust. Well, we're not basing it on whether or not you've seen somebody. This is what does the word of God say? And if the word of God says, hey, you can have victory over this, isn't that exciting? Then I can actually press into the reality of, God, you promised this, and I know that you cannot lie. So this passage obviously is for me. That hey, greed and pride and lust and envy and anger and, and whatever it is that you may be dealing with does not have to have a control in your life. Why? Because he has set us free from the bondage of sin. And that's not for special people, it's for people. It's for you. Which means, hey, I can, I can, I can begin to trust him and I can I can begin to take him at his word. Why? Because he does not change. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion over the years of you know, the God in the New Testament being different than the God of the Old Testament. That's not true, folks. He is the exact same Jesus. The, the God you see functioning in the Old Testament is the exact same God you see functioning in the New Testament. In fact, you want to know what the God of the Old Testament's like? Look at Jesus. Because it says that Jesus is the demonstration, he's the representation of the Godhead. That, that he is God himself in the flesh. And he does not change, which we're going to get into in just a second. He does not change. Well, in the Old Testament, he was, you know, he's killing people off. And, you know, hey, kill every man and woman and child and animal and, you know, the Amalekite kind of thing. So you're telling me that's the same? Yes. But you have to see that through the eyes of Jesus. You have to see that from the perspective of Jesus. Which we don't have time to today. But you have to work through that yourself. (laughs) But you got to realize that the same God that was functioning in the Old Testament has not shifted. He wasn't a God of wrath, and now he's a God of grace. Oh, But he's coming back as a God of wrath. He's, he doesn't change, folks. He is the same God. Well, what is he like? Look at Jesus. He is God made flesh. You want know, to you know how God thinks? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God acts? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God talks? Look at Jesus. How, how does God behave with humanity? Look at Jesus. Because he is the picture. He's the demonstration. He is the life of God on planet earth. And that's encouraging. Was Jesus full of grace? Yes. Did Jesus get angry? Yes. It was a righteous anger. And hey, there was times where he just says, hey, this is not to be going on in the temple. And he drove it out. He is jealous over his temple. By the way, you are now the temple. He is jealous over you. Which means if there's something in your life that shouldn't be there, he's going to be lovingly driving that thing out. With a whip if necessary. <laughs> but he will drive it out. Why? Because he wants purity in his temple. But it's the, exact same, it's the exact same God. He does not change. Listen to Hebrews 13.8. I've got a whole bunch of scripture passages. Sorry, I don't have them up on the screen, but uh, you can just write down references if you want them or ask me for notes later. Uh, Hebrews 13.8. Uh, you don't have to turn to these because you won't have time to turn to all of them. So you can just listen. Just relax. Oh. Uh, but Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same. The same! Do you want know the word same means? The same! He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. Uh, when you get into this idea of God's characteristics, God's attributes, it's interesting that Uh, We know that, for example, uh, God is just. Uh, We understand that God is love. God is righteous. He is holy. He is when you start working through the attributes. It's interesting that of, of all the attributes, there is one primary, foundational, elementary attribute of God. And it's the fact that God does not change. In fact, all the other characteristics, all the other attributes hinge on the fact that God does not change. Uh, That he is forever, always the same. In fact, if you... uh, 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 It's like I want to go two places. Uh, Hebrews 11.6, it's interesting. I'll I'll set this up. In Hebrews 11.6, the writer of Hebrews makes this statement, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is... And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay, we get that. I have to have faith. And if I come to God, I must believe, I must trust, I must have faith that he is. Isn't that the most bizarre statement? It demands something. He is what? I must believe that he is. What? I can believe that he's loving. I can believe that he's just. I I can believe that he's kind. I I can believe that he's righteous. I can believe believe he is something, but how do I just believe that he he is? And the writer of Hebrews says, oh, no, you must believe that he is. And it's hearkening back into the Exodus scene of Exodus chapter 3. Here's this man by the name of Moses. He's been out tending the flocks of sheep for about 40 years. And uh, he comes up on this mountain, probably been there countless times. Here he is up on this mountain on this particular occasion. As he's doing the sheep thing <clears throat> as a shepherd, he looks over and there's this bush that is burning. Now it's burning, but it's not burning. I mean, it is burning, but it's not burning up. But it's, I mean, it's, it's burning, but it's not burning, right? And a voice comes from the bush and says, Moses, right, take off your sandals. It's a call of worship. And Moses takes off his sandals and he goes over to see this what's going on with the bush? And he's, he's looking at the bush and the, and the bush begins to speak and he says, Moses, I have chosen you. I want you to go back into Egypt. I want you to set my people free. And of course, Moses says, well, okay. But when I go, they're going to ask me, what is the name of the God who sent you? What am I supposed to tell them? And God says, oh, that's easy. I am. You are what? God just says, no, I am. I am that I am. Yeah, but you are What? And it's interesting, God says, I am, we say he is. So when the writer of Hebrews 11.6 says, we must believe that he is, it's a declaration or it's a hearkening back to the Exodus 3 thing where God says, I am who I am. And when you look at this idea of the I am, it's interesting. It's this idea that God doesn't change. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He is steady. He is a rock, that he is who he always will be that you can actually trust him. Why? Because he is. He's not wishy-washy. He doesn't change like that. He always is. And God says, I am. I am who I am. And so we would say, you are, or he is. Uh, So Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Could you imagine what that conversation must have been like? Here's Moses. He shows up to the Israelites and says, hey, I'm I'm, I'm here to help you. Uh, God has sent me. Oh, what is God's name? He is. Okay, what? (laughs) I mean, that had to have been an interesting conversation in my mind. But look at what God says in the next verse, Exodus 3.15. He says, this name, this name, the I am, this name is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Hey, this is how you're going to remember me. Hey, this is who I am. Hey, this is my, and it's interesting, of, the, of all the names of God in Scripture, this is the one that shows up the most. It's where we get the word Yahweh or Jehovah. It, it, it's that unspeakable name of God. In fact, when you, when you look at how the Israelites have used it, even to this day, they refuse to, to say that name. You know, they, they say something like the Hashim, which is the name, or Adonai, which is Lord, which is re- replacement, right? It's, it's the name, it's the I am thing. But when we say I am or when we say he is, what are we actually saying? We're saying, God, you are who you are. You are unchanging. You are immutable. You are always the same. I just love that idea that he is eternal. He's not shifty. In fact, when you come into scripture, this is all over the place. Let me just give you a few verses. Numbers 23, 19. Uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and, and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? See, God is not like us. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God is not like us. He cannot lie. I, I used to love those discussions when we were little kids. You know, uh, I remember on the playground at school, we'd be talking about, oh, God. And, of course, we always ask the dumb question, like, can God? if God could do anything, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? That really is one of the dumbest questions. I just, but one of the, it comes back to the fact that the real question is, can God do, is there anything God cannot do? It's really what we're asking. Do you know the answer to that question is there are certain things that God cannot do. God just can't do whatever he wants. And I, I know that kind of throws off some of our theology because we're like, well, I thought God could do everything. No, he can't. There are certain things God is incapable of doing. And that's great news. And that's phenomenal news, actually. God says, I can't lie. That I am truth. There is no lie within me. And God says, I, it's not that I don't want to lie. I can't lie. There is no lie within me. Do you know how phenomenal that is? If you actually understand that God cannot lie, then everything he says is truth. And this is his word. This is his words. He cannot lie, folks. We can trust him. He is always the same. He doesn't say this on this day and this on this day, and, and we're not sure which one, which one do we do, which one do we not do. He is, he is constant. He is always the same. He cannot lie. That is phenomenal. Uh, Psalm 102, verse 27 says, You are the same. Malachi 3, 6. The Lord says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. James 1, James writes God with, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What? He's always the same. Hebrews 3:8, again, I, I read this earlier, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And if you want some more verses, you may have to ask me later for all this whole list, but Psalm 33:11, Psalm 90 verse 2, I know not all of you can write this fast. Uh, Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27. Psalm 119, verses 89 through 90. Listen to the recording and play it back. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Jeremiah 10, 10. 2 Timothy 2, 13. Hebrews 6, 13 through 19. Hebrews 7, verse 24. James 1, 17. Revelation 22, 13. I mean, this this idea that God is the same is all over the place. See, when we talk about the fact that God is the same, that he is unchanging, what we're really saying is God is trustworthy. We're saying that he is faithful. That he is full of faith. He is unchanging in his perspective. He's unchanging in his focus. He's unwavering. Uh, It's interesting when when you come into Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for faith, faithfulness, belief, and truth are all interconnected. Ponder that. Belief, Truth, faith, and faithfulness. They're, they're all tied together. And they're all stemming from where we get our word, amen. Isn't that a cool thought? How we're praying at the end of our prayer, we say, amen. What does that actually mean? Have you ever thought that? Why do we say amen at the end of our prayers? Well, it's like the send button on an email, right? So I'm praying this prayer, and if I don't say amen, God's not going to hear it, right? If I don't push the, the send button, whoop, he's just going to be like, sorry, It was a great prayer, though, but I didn't get it. Why? You did not say amen, right? If you want to be really spiritual, in the name of Jesus, amen, right? That sends it quicker. That's not what amen's for. What is amen for? It's it's a declaration of, that's right. Amen. Let Let that be so. I agree. Which is why, when you know, in certain church gatherings, cultures, right, someone will be preaching, and you'll hear someone say, amen, and you really should look at them and say, excuse me, we're not praying right now? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, why, why would they say amen? It's, it's a statement of, hey, I agree with that. Hey, that that's true. Hey, that's right. Hey, I, I, I want to take my life and bring it into alignment with that reality. Amen. When someone else prays and we all agree at the end, amen. What are we saying? We're saying, hey, I agree with that. Hey, Lord, let it be so. Amen. So when you look at this idea of Hebrew, then, this idea, amen, the root of that idea comes in this idea of belief and faith and trust and faithfulness, that there's this, un, there's this strength, there's this support. In fact, it's interesting, the word faithfulness in Hebrew, it conveys the idea of strength, support, to hold up. The, the concept gives this idea of firmness, constancy, or trustworthiness. In other words, there's a, there's a bedrock and you can put your weight upon that thing. Hey, you can trust that rock. Just like I, I didn't see a single person this morning come in and check your chair. Right? You, you didn't come and you kind of moved around and kind of had someone else sit on it first. Right? You didn't do any of that stuff. Why? You, you had faith in the chair. You had trust in the chair. So you just plopped yourself down. And you threw yourself on this bedrock, hopefully, right? That's, that's stable. Of saying, I am saying, I can trust that. It's interesting that the word for faithfulness, that same word is used physically one time in Scripture in uh, 2 Kings for the um, the little hinges on the doorpost of the temple. That it's, it's, that, it's that thing that lets it swing open, and it's, it's stable, and it's secure, and it's holding. It's the strength of the door, right? It's that kind of idea. It's that word faithfulness. Hey, that as you go out these doors this morning, you know, you can turn up to those little hinges and go, ooh, faithful. Right? Because why? They're, they're, they're holding the weight. They're supporting. It's they're trustworthy. Do you know what God is in our life? He's faithful. He's trustworthy. That, that we can sit down and put our weight upon him. That, that there's a rest, that there's a confidence, that there's a trust in him. Why? Because he is faithful. He doesn't change. There's a resoluteness. There's a firmness to him. And if we know that he cannot lie and we know that he cannot change and we know that he's not wishy-washy, there, there is a rest in that as for a believer. It's interesting. I look at the culture today and the one thing we don't re- realize is who our God is. If we recognize who our God is, there wouldn't be room for fear because perfect love, which is Jesus, casts out fear. Well, there, there'd be no room for worry. Why? Because he tells us not to worry. Why? Because I'm with you. So if he's with us, there's no room for worry. Yeah, but what about the economy? Trust him. He's stable. You're, you're not stable. I've seen some of your lives. You're not stable, right? But he is. Hey, if I'm going to put my weight upon something, I I apologize, I'm not putting my weight upon you. Because I'm not sure what's going to happen with your life. But hey, he is stable. He is trustworthy. Worthy. He is faithful. In fact, here's some, here's some more more verses just to ponder. Uh, Lamentations 3, verse 21 through 24. I love this. Oh, this is so good. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. This I recall to mind. Oh, Jeremiah, what are you going to keep bringing back into your mind? What, what is it that you're going to be meditating upon? He says, This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. So something, he's dwelling upon something, and whatever it is that he is dwelling upon is producing hope within his life. What is that? He says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Jeremiah says, do you, do you know what I'm focusing upon? Do you know what I'm dwelling upon? Do you know what is producing the hope of my life? And by the way, his days were bleak. I mean, his days were rough. I mean, he was going through trials, right? Babylon is surrounding Jerusalem. Jer- Jerusalem's about to fall. In fact, by the time he writes Lamentations, Jerusalem has fallen, it's been taken captive, right? Nebuchadnezzar has come in and just destroyed everything. The temple, the temple of the Lord has been just Ransacked. They took all this stuff from the temple and they just, just destroyed that thing. I mean, Jeremiah's been in prison. Jeremiah has uh, faced fasting and, and just famine. He's, he's faced, I mean, he's facing trials. I mean, you think we're having a bad now. Woo, Jeremiah had some bad trials. And yet Jeremiah says, Oh, I keep bringing this to mind and it's given me great hope. Well, what is it? God. Simply, it's Him that his mercies are new every morning, that he is faithful, that it doesn't matter my circumstance, it doesn't matter the fact that Jerusalem just got squashed, hey, it doesn't matter the fact that I've been in prison for years, hey, it doesn't matter the fact that I've been living on a crust of bread. Hey, hey, What matters is, he is faithful. And it's not based upon my external circumstance that he is faithful. I trust that he is faithful in the midst of my circumstance. And therefore, I have hope. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord is my, my portion, therefore I have hope in him. Now, if you want a great verse to memorize for our days, that would be a good one. Because he doesn't change. He is still faithful. He's still merciful. How does your soul still have hope? Jesus. Psalm 136, I, I love Psalm 136. Psalm 136, every single line, every single verse has the declaration, for his mercy endures forever. That word mercy, it's the word hesed. It can be translated faithfulness. Can be translated steadfast love. Uh, can be can be translated mercy. Can be translated faith. It's that kind of an idea. Do you realize that what Psalm one thirty six is is a recounting of the history of Israel? Hey, we were were enslaved, but God broke through. Hey, we walked through the Red Sea. Hey, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this. And at every single point, the psalmist, the declaration is, oh, his mercy endures forever. His faithfulness endures forever. His trustworthiness endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. So whether it's the good times or the bad times, the psalmist says it doesn't matter. His steadfast love endures forever. He is faithful. He is true. He is trustworthy. He is stable. I I can put my hope in him because he doesn't change. Uh, Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy, therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, get this, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Wow. Wow. Isaiah 49 verse 7, "Because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, He has chosen you." Second 2 Timothy 2:13, 2, "Even if we are faithless, He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Isn't that great news? Hey, you turn and you put your trust in this individual, and oh, they blow it. And even if we are faithless, it actually doesn't matter. He remains faithful. So his faithfulness is not based upon our faithfulness. He is faithful, regardless of your faithfulness. Now, you are called to be faithful. But your faithfulness does not dictate his faithfulness. He is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He will forever and always be faithful. Love that. Romans 3, verses 3 through 4. Uh, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And Paul answers, no, certainly not, Paul says. So hey, just because some people are not believing, does that mean that God's not faithful? Paul says, no, God is faithful. Are you getting this? God is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast. Hey, let us not let go. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It's interesting, you look at Jesus. Did you know that one of the names of Jesus is faithful? It's not a characteristic. It's actually his name. I love this. Revelation 19.11. John writes, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called, here's his name, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. What of the names of Jesus is that he is the faithful and true one? That he is faithful, he doesn't change. And he is true, he does not lie. Isn't that encouraging? That the God of whom we love and the God in whom we serve does not change. love that. Listen to John 8, verse 29. Jesus is talking about how he's functioning and how he's living. And he says, And he who sent me is with me, speaking of the Father. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. Do you know how Jesus lived? Jesus was not always Jesus. Jesus was always doing the things that the Father had him do. It wasn't that Jesus decided, well, this time I'll do it, but next time I won't. It's just he was always doing the work that God had for him. He is God. We understand that. But as the Father was just saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. Jesus was always in this position of, yep, I'm, I'm already in because i always do the things that you call me to do. Hebrews 7:25. Love this. Therefore, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know what Jesus is doing this minute? He's making intercession. How do we know that? Because he always makes intercession. Do you realize that the way he functions that he is he is always. God is always. He's always and always God. Jesus, how did Jesus live? Always. Isn't it interesting that you, as a believer who is now filled with the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is called to be an always Christian? That you are always and always to be a Christian. And, and not just the ways that we've been reading in, in Philippians chapter 4, but when you read through the entirety of the New Testament, the, the whole underpinning of the New Testament is that you are always, in all your ways, to live as Christ. You are always in all your ways to have the mind of Christ. You are always in all your ways to have the lifestyle of Christ. Hey, you are always and always to function in in the flow of his spirit. Hey, you are always and always not to live out of yourself, but to live out of his resource. You are to always and always. Are you getting this? I mean, that is the undercurrent of the entirety of the New Testament. I mean, if you want to summarize Paul's epistles, it is hey, you are always and always a Christian. That there, there is not to be duplicity in your life. Again, you're not to live this way on Sunday mornings when you're down at the church. So you say the certain words and you dress a certain way and you, you act a certain way. And of course, you know, the, the joke typically is, you know, a family's coming to church and they're bickering and yelling and they're late and they're yelling. And but hey, they get to the church and they open their doors and suddenly, <laughs> right? And you put the smile on. It's like, great, great to see you. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm doing wonderful. Thanks so much. Yeah. You. you know, and we we have this pasted thing on our on our faces to show that, yes, we're Christians, right? We're happy. We're good to go. Praise the Lord, right? And we're going about our day, and then as soon as the sermon's over, and we go, great to see you all, right? We go back to our car, we slam the doors, we get out the church parking lot, and we're like, ah! And we're just... That's not Christianity, folks. Hey, the same way you're behaving in the church building should be the same way you're living down at your house. And the same way you're living at your house should be the same way you're hanging out with people On Friday nights, and the same way you're living at work, and the same way you're going to school, and the same way you're that you were always and always a Christian. That you don't unplug from Christianity. Right? Just as Jesus used in John 15, just as a branch abides in the vine, how much does a branch abide in the vine? That's a dumb question. That's like asking, how much does a fish live in water? Well, if a fish gets out of water, it's gonna die. The moment the branch unconnects itself from the vine it's dead there is no life flowing into it well how much do i have to abide in jesus Is so 15 minutes a day right do my devotions say a quick prayer i'm done what are you talking about that's not christianity christianity is 24 hours a day thing well that sounds exhausting it sounds exhausting if you don't have it i mean how are you going to make it through life without him so hey, just as a branch never unconnects itself from a vine, just as a fish has to live just in the abundance of the ocean, so too you get to live in the reality of Jesus. You are called a Christian. Not just for Sunday mornings, not just for Wednesday nights. You are called to be a Christian always in all your ways. You know what? That, that's actually relaxing if you think about it. Being duplicit is hard. I don't know if you've ever tried that. You know, you say this to one person, you say this to another person, and you have to remember what you said to which person, and then, you know, this, this will save neck cramps. Because you'll never have to keep looking over your shoulder wondering who's watching you, you know? that you don't have to worry about, well, is someone going to catch me in my secret sin? Why would you have the secret sin? Just get, get rid of it. Like Let God do a purge in your life. And how about you're always, in all your ways, a Christian. So you're telling me that when I'm with people, I'm a Christian? Yes. You're telling me when I'm by myself, I'm still supposed to be a Christian. That's actually where it's proved, <laughs> actually. Christianity's not proved if you come to church. It's like Cory Tim Booms. I love the Cory Tim Boom story where here's a little mouse on, on a counter, and the, and the mouse goes, "Oh, there's a jar of cookies." And so, of course, the mouse being brilliant, grabs a wooden spoon, spins the spoon around, climbs up the wooden spoon, It's standing on top of the edge of the cookie jar. And with glee and excitement and expectation, jumps into the cookie jar. Cookie dust explodes around the mouse, and the mouse with excitement says, Woo! I'm a cookie! No, you just ruined a cookie jar, (laughs) because that is nasty. A mouse falling into a jar of cookies does not make the mouse a cookie. Just like you walking into a garage does not make you a car, you coming to church does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? The life within you. And if you have the life, woo! Hey, if you have Jesus, you're a Christian. But just because you know the language and just because you can go through the facts and just because that doesn't make you a Christian. Satan knows the facts. Satan has all the details. Demons show up to church. We know that because, hey, there's a demon-possessed man in the synagogue of Capernaum. And he was full of demons. So the demons were hanging out at the synagogue. Does that make them a Christian? No, no, no. What makes you a Christian? The life. So what would it look like then as a Christian not to be duplicit, but to always in all your ways live in the reality of truth? What would it look like for always in all your ways to live in Jesus? What would it look like for always in all your ways to be sourced and resourced by the Spirit of God? What if you were always in all your ways wrapped up in the fullness of who He is and your obsession was Jesus and your focus was Jesus and your delight was Jesus and I think we'd have to call you a Christian. Ah, This idea of always, again, is all over the New Testament. So I'm just. I'm not going to read the the verse. Well, maybe I should read the verses just if you ever want to look this up. Let me just give you a cacophony of always in the New Testament. This is just like all the always passages of how we're to live shoved together. So just hang on to your seats. Just listen. Uh, We are to set the Lord always before us. Again, we are an always people. We are to set the Lord always before us because he is at our right hand we shall not be moved, Psalm sixteen eight. We ought always to pray, Luke 18 1, and without ceasing make mention of others always in our prayers, Romans 1 9. We thank our God always, 1 Corinthians 1 4, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. 58. And for he always causes us to triumph in Christ, second Corinthians two fourteen. We are always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. 2 Corinthians 4.10 We are always confident, 2 Corinthians 5.6 And due to his abounding grace, we always have all sufficiency in all things in order to abound in every good work, 2 Corinthians 9.8 We are giving thanks always for all things, Ephesians 5.20 And always making a request with joy, Philippians 1.4 And we are always magnifying Christ in our bodies, whether it be by life or by death, Philippians 1.20 Are you starting to hear all this? We are always obeying Philippians 2 12. We are rejoicing in the Lord always, Philippians 4 4, praying always, Colossians 1 3, and our speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4-6. We are always laboring fervently for others in prayer, Colossians 4.12, and giving thanks to God always for others, 1 Thessalonians 1-2. We always follow that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5 15. We rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. We bound we are bound to thank God always for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray always, Second Thessalonians 1, 3, verse 11, and 2 Thessalonians two thirteen, making mention of others always in our prayers. men 1, 4. Holy Toledo. I mean, that is quite a list. Do you realize that the undercurrent of Christianity, the undercurrent of what your life is supposed to be, is that you are always and always a Christian? So here's a quick point of application. Is that true in you? Are you truly always in all your ways a Christian? Or are there certain habits? Are there certain behaviors? Are there certain attitudes? Are there certain frustrations? Are are, are there certain addictions? Are there certain, I don't don't know what may be in your life, but is there something going on in your life that shouldn't be there? See, what would it look like if we truly threw ourselves upon the grace and the mercy of our Lord and said, Jesus I need you to root out whatever it is, the shadow areas of my life, so that in all my ways, I am always a Christian. That someone could, if they could somehow get into my mind and see how I think, no matter what time of day it was, they would see the mind of a Christian. That they would actually hear the declaration of the gospel if they just peeked behind the curtains of my mind. Because I think for most of us, if someone peeked into our minds, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, you call yourself a Christian? Yes, but what if someone could peek into your mind and they go, you have to be a Christian? Why? Because Jesus is just the constant theme of your, of your mind. Well, what if they could look at our attitude? Not just what we display outwardly, but what if they could see our inside attitude stuff? They, they could see when we roll our eyes. They could see the, the motives of our heart. Would it declare Jesus? See, what, what if they could listen to our language all throughout the day, no matter what person we are with, would they hear Jesus? I'm not saying you're always talking Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But is just is the are you always a Christian? Is Jesus the anthem of your life? Is he the tenor of your being? Is he the essence of your heart? Is he the fullness of your life? Is he the are you obsessed with Jesus? Are you always, in all your ways, truly a Christian? And my guess is if we're all being honest, there's something that he's gonna have to work on in our life. There's something we're going to have to give up. There's some, something we're going to have to submit. So pray with me. Lord, <clears throat> I recognize that, that Christianity is not a Sunday morning deal. That Christianity isn't a social club that we gather together a couple times a week and shake hands and smile. And Lord, this thing is for life. And, Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us all things that we need for life and for godliness, which is you. And so, Lord, the reality of Fresh This Morning is that we need you. Lord, Lord, we cannot function as we ought without you. And the life that you are calling us to live truly is impossible in our own strength, in our own resource, in our own wisdom, in our own talent, in our own ability so, Lord, I want, I want to freshly submit my resource, my ability, my talent, what little wisdom I have, and say, Jesus, do with it whatever you want. But, Lord, let my life be about Jesus. Could I, in all my ways, always be a Christian? Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, I don't even have to pray for it. I, find I can just thank you because of your faithfulness that you won't let us go. And that you are so faithful to bring conviction in the areas that need it. So Lord, I just pray this morning and thank you that, that you desire holiness and righteousness and purity in our life even more than we do. And so Lord, I just thank you for going in each of our lives and pointing out the things of our life that still need to be changed. I know we recognize there may be stuff that are, that's deep, that may take years. I, I get that. I understand that you may not be pointing out every aspect of my life and, and because of your patience and your goodness that that you're walking me through this process of sanctification, oh God, I thank you for the patience. But Lord I thank you that you're aggressive in my life, that you don't just let me live however I want to live. Let's not just come to Christ and do what you want. This is come to Christ and let him radically change you. So Lord I just I just Lord, I just want to say yes. And whatever it is that you still need to do in my life, whatever closets you need to open up, whatever you need to change, whatever attitudes, whatever thought processes, whatever behaviors, hey, whatever addictions, whatever lifestyle, whatever whatever, Lord, I want to be all in. And Lord, tomorrow I want you to freshly go through my life and if there's anything else, I want you to reveal it. And I want to be 100% surrendered with 100% of the things that you reveal. And if two years from now you reveal something else, then Lord, I want to be 100% surrendered in 100% of the things you you showcase. So Lord, let me come to the word and let me see the fact that you are faithful. Let me realize the fact that you are trustworthy. Let me realize that you cannot lie, that this word is true and that this is to be the boundary. This is to be the uh, the definition of my life. And Lord, if I see anything in my life, if you reveal anything in my life that does that not measure up to your word, then God, I, I just oh change it. Enable me to change it. Press it out of my life, Jesus. I want to be a Christian. Not when it's convenient. I want to be a Christian. Not just when things are easy. I want to be a Christian. Not just when circumstances go well. I want to be a Christian. Not not because of what's going on in society. I want to be a Christian. Not just when there's no persecution. I want to be a Christian. Always. In all my ways. And Lord, there is this funny reality that we are as a Christian, consistently growing and maturing and changing (laughs) because you're making us more like you and yet there's to be no duplicity in our life. So Lord, whatever that actually looks like, practically do it in my life where I'm always and always a Christian but yet ever changing to look more and more like you. What I think just the simple reality is I just need you. So would you be the essence of my life, the focus of my mind, the the light of my heart, the obsession of my very being. And just as you were always the same, God, could you make me always and always, in all my ways, a Christian. Lord, we love you. Oh, Thank you that this is even a possibility. Thank you that, that you are wanting to make us always a Christian. And Lord, we just celebrate you. Just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.